The following sermon was delivered by Rev. Laurel Gray at the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. Our reading this morning is called Fingernails as Faith Development by the Rev. Joanna Fontaine Crawford. There was a single mother in our congregation who had two young children, a daughter and a son. Seeing the painted fingernails of his mom and sister, the little boy wanted to join in on the fun. Oh, how he loved painting his fingernails. He waved his hands around, giggling with happiness. He loved experimenting with different colors. But his delight was cut short when he began being bullied at school. His mother shared what was happening with friends at church, and somehow the word got out to the men in the church. The following Sunday, men of all ages showed up at our church with painted fingernails. Teenagers, business types, old men, some even brought bottles of polish so that the men who hadn't heard the news could paint their fingernails too. The little boy's face lit up when he saw that. His mouth was an O of wonder. His eyes were lit up with joy. Mine were too. It was one of the most loving things I'd ever seen. I have no idea what I preached on that day, but it didn't matter. Because the most powerful sermon was happening that day out in the fellowship hall with Sally Hansen mauve over polish. That night, he asked his mother about all those boys with the painted nails. They're Unitarian Universalists, she told him. Are we Unitarian Universalists, he asked. Well, I am, she said. He thought about it for several several minutes. I'm one too, he decided. In many of our congregations, we're careful, we carefully craft curricula to teach the values of our faith, but sometimes the lessons simply appear. That Sunday, all ages learned about nurturance, masculinity, the alternative, and antidote to toxic masculinity. We learned a new way of being an intentional intergenerational village, raising a child. And it all flowed from compassion, wanting to give a little boy the message that his authentic self is beautiful and worthy of being imitated, even by people much older than he. We are the hands and feet of love, and sometimes it's fingernails too. I wonder if you have had moments like this, moments when you felt the power of a community acting with unexpected love that surrounded you. A few years ago, I attended a meditation event at the Boston Public Library with a group that was traveling around the US holding these large scale meditation events. It was sponsored by a kombucha company, and we all got fancy meditation cushions from a new mattress company, also a sponsor. And the leaders had a distinctly LA vibe. It was definitely leaning into the charismatic cool thing with guest musicians and a very blonde young woman with singing bowls. It was admittedly amazing, and I was also very aware of the fact that it was an event. But as I was leaving, I heard the two young women next to me talking about how wonderful it was to be in this meditative space with so many other people 
to have taken time out of their week to feel more centered and listen to music, all in the company of other people. And one of them said, I wish we could do this every week. It took a lot for me not to turn to them and ask them if they've tried church. Professional hazards of being a minister. But we're now a generation or two away from the days when private schools had mandatory, mandatory church attendance and weekly attendance at some kind of religious community was the norm. The gap has created a dynamic in which people still have spiritual needs, but the practices of tending to those spiritual needs or even the impulse to take them seriously has faded. And there is so much anxiety in our society about the decline of church attendance, but it's not new. And I find that deeply comforting. A few weeks ago, I was reorganizing the books in my office and came across the Berry Street address, which happens at General Assembly um, from 1929. So almost 100 years ago, entitled, Are We Outgrowing the Need for a Church? <laughs> by Anna Garlic Spencer. She wrote this, which struck me. Of one thing, we may be sure, whatever else is doubtful, if the church fills some need of the average human nature, to which no other instrumentality does or can so well minister, then its per permanence is secured by the, by the divine law of utility. We are doing something here together that is necessary. Because even as the world and society changes, humans need deeply social, humans remain deeply social creatures who need the connection of community. And on February 11th, the Reverend Erica Barron is going to be our guest service leader, followed by a special coffee hour with the board. And the focus of that service and coffee hour will be this question of how we adapt and change to meet the moment. So come back for that on February 11th. But our theme for this month is liberating love. And our society puts so much focus on romantic love in particular and familial, familial love that the love of community gets lost. And yet those weak ties and intergenerational friendships and the difference that we encounter within community is deeply nourishing and stabilizing. It's why we do things like child dedications. We know that it takes a village to raise a child, but sometimes we forget that it takes a village to feel steady and connected at all ages. And this month, we've been talking a lot about it, what it means to live into an ethic of love, the ways that a love ethic calls us towards justice, protects us from moral injury by refusing to participate in dehumanization. That was last Sunday's sermon. It's on the podcast if you missed it. And we've talked a lot about how a love ethic informs our own actions. But today is about the saving grace of community, because what happens when we're part of a collection of people all engaged in that love ethic together? When we all practice it together, all of us living from a shared core promise to love, helping each other reflect on our actions and how to align more fully with our core values, then our experience of ourselves is clarity and groundedness. But remember, this is not solitary spiritual seeking. We're doing this in community. We're doing this love ethic together. That means that our experience of, the, of our community should be one of grace, 
the sense of love surrounding us even when we feel we don't deserve it. The community becomes a place of spiritual nourishment. Grace is defined by, as courteous goodwill by the Oxford Dictionary, and in more theistic terms, it's considered a kind of undeserved divine love. And remember our definitions of love from a few weeks ago. Love is not some fluffy, meaningless thing. It's a deep commitment to what is right and kind and life-giving, which requires honesty and truth-telling. It's rare in life that we get to be in the midst of a community that's defining feature is grace, goodwill regardless of who we are or what we've done. But grace, remember, is not fake nice. It doesn't lie and say, I'm totally okay with your harmful behavior, carry on. Grace is what we talked about last week. It's refusing to turn someone else's harm back on themselves while also refusing to let them continue doing that harm in the first place. So if you take an ethic of love at the heart of a people, what else could be the experiential outcome? If the thing in me is a promise to live from an ethic of love and everyone else in this community is doing that too, then our experience of the community as a body, it should be an experience of grace, like being inside that library filled with people doing a meta meditation in which they were all wishing someone well, sending those blessings out. It's rare that we can settle into that kind of collective care with trust. It's also why it hurts so much when religious communities do harm. The fall from grace to violence is so much more forceful. And that experience of grace is then also a good litmus test for whether or not we're really living out our ethic of love. Because if we're not experiencing grace in our community, then maybe we need to work on practicing our central ethic of love together. The experience of community is one that calls us to live into our highest ideals and also loves us at our most human like a choir holding a note impossibly long because we carry the tune while our neighbor breathes, and then they let us breathe in turn. This is why we do the work of spiritual life together. Grace is a thing we make together. So I invite you to look for those moments, both when we're on the receiving end and when a moment of possibility arises like those men in our story, when we can act with courteous goodwill towards each other. May it be so, and amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org. All are welcome.